Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris Torotha, Senior Producer at Sharkmop, S.A. Strathy, Associate Producer at Pixel United Northern Stars, Robin Hijelt, Founder of Bloom and Bloom, and Rasmus Newton, Studio Manager at Coffee Stain, Gothenburg. We're all here to talk about great leadership in the gaming industry. Everyone has a question that they want to pose to the others on great leadership in the gaming industry. And let's kick it off with some introductions. So Robin, what is your quick intro? Um, I'm Robin. I uh, founded a new studio called Bloom and Gloom Games. We haven't really talked that much public yet, but uh, we're going to build some uh, really cool adventure games. Um, and uh, one big part of the big studio, the new studio, is to uh, see how to do leadership good in games. So I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, my previous experience is as studio manager at Fictional Games, and uh, I've been in production at Massive, and before that I ran my own company as well. Awesome. Bessa? Hey everyone, uh, I'm Bessa, Associate Producer at Northern Stars Pixel United. Pixel United currently is one of the top five mobile publishers and has quite a lot of studios under its umbrella. Uh, my previous experiences, uh, I have worked at Remedy before this, at EA Track 20 Helsinki, and then at Next Games. Lovely, and Chris? Hi there, I'm a senior producer at Sharkmob London, we're a relatively new studio. Um, Sharkmob is actually based out in Malmö. Um, I think it was set up by uh, veterans from Massive, so potentially Robin would know some of the um, some of the founders here. Um, yeah, we're Triple A, um, Tencent back studio, uh, heavily recruiting in London just now. Great premises here. That's my advertising pitch. Um, my background is. And originally programming, so I did that for over a decade, and then moved into production, um, product management, publishing, lecturing, and then backgrounds to production. So I've had a bit of a varied background, and I think I'm trying to keep the developer perspective strong when anything I'm doing in the production world. So that might come through in the, the discussion there. Awesome. And Rasmus. Hi. <clears throat> I. Uh, my name is Rasmus Knutsson. I have uh, been working as a developer, as a programmer for uh, 15 years and uh, until this August actually, when I got the opportunity to try something new and start a uh, new coffee stain studio in Gothenburg, my hometown. So I'm the rookie here. I have only been uh, managing a team for about 24 days. Uh, since uh, 1st of uh, November. That's when my first uh, people came in. Uh, uh, but I'm really looking forward to it and also really looking forward to this chat. might be very inspirational for me. Awesome. Let's get started. So everyone has a question on the topic. Robin, let's start off with you. What is your question and the context behind it? All right. So... My question is, what value does intrinsic motivation have in game development and how do you encourage it? And uh, uh, do you want me to go first with all the thoughts I have around it? or Just the context as to why yeah. you're asking the question and then we'll come back. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is a bit of a leading question. Um, and uh, I, uh, uh, I definitely think there is place for intrinsic motivation in the game development. And I think that uh, it's kind of the holy grail for any organization in my mind. Um, if you can make people come into work and feel like they're doing stuff that they want to do, they are going to be happier and more motivated. It would be super interesting to hear 
what your thoughts are about it and how to encourage it in uh, in different environments. Lovely, Bessa, who want you to start on this one? Yeah, I think like like looking back at that my my own story and why I joined games or like like knowing also a lot of people like you know working in games and the reasons that they joined. It's basically that at some point in our life in childhood we were passionate about playing games and you know continued with that and then we discovered that there's possibilities to actually be part of that and actually develop games. So like work in something that, that you really kind of love. So I think like in a lot of cases, by default, you're kind of going to have that intrinsic motivation like, okay, I get to work in, in something that like, you know, I really like doing like playing or having like, you know, part of my life. So I feel like one of the biggest important things in 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 here is that like you know a lot of people get get that that motivation that okay like today I start work and I'm gonna get to work on a game that I'm gonna put out there to players who are gonna be happy to play and make them feel the way how I felt or how I feel when I play games and I think like that's really important because like when you work as you said when you work in like an environment or an industry that you really value and like. It kind of makes your work fun and it doesn't feel like, oh my God, like I have to go to work. I hate my job. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. But you know, you get that. Like you just want to, like, at least for me, I just want to be able to make a game that is going to make other players be happy. And I think it's really important to encourage this thing like in teams is just because like the fact that they work on something that they value and that they like will just like, you know, turn into a positive thing in the product and the game that they're making it's just like you're putting love like you know in the game and also motivate your employees while doing that so i think it's like really important just you know to have open discussions and enable people to like you know freely talk about like you know how they feel about the game that they're making and just putting their ideas out there because you know that that that's what they like doing and want to translate that to other players as well lovely how do you think you could encourage that best I think like at least one thing that I that I, I like with like when working with teams is that like, you know, like try to think about it as if like, you know, especially when you're working on a feature or something like try to think about it like that you're on, you're the player who's playing this game, right? Like, how do you feel about it? Like, you know, just like, you know, open floor, open talk, just talk about it. Because like a lot of times that's how also like the great ideas are, are born for games. So it's just like, you know, I feel like it's all. To me, at least, in my opinion, it's all about like, you know, making your employees feel like they can open up to the way how they feel. And especially when it comes to their intrinsic motivation to be part of, of this industry or projects or companies and just like, you know, letting them know that it, you know, you're hurt and you can speak up and you can translate whatever like motivation you might have towards this, this product, like flow. And that people are actually going to sit there and listen to you, like, you know, without, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of times I feel like there is like cases when you're like, I'm not sure if I should say this, like, does it sound dumb or something? Like, you know, is this a bad idea? But like, just being the fact that, you know, there is no bad way of putting out how you feel about a product or like your motivation towards it. Lovely. How about you, Chris? How do you encourage? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I think there's a, a book by Daniel Pink, I think it's called Drive, where they talk about how having extrinsic motivation can actually lessen intrinsic motivation. 
I don't. I still think we should pay people, though. I, I think removing that is probably a bad idea. Um, but yeah, I had to, I'd echo what Bessel was saying. I do think that you have to, as a leader, you have to always be honest with yourself about how exciting you find the the project because it is quite hard to fake enthusiasm. I think as a leader. And I, I remember watching Drive to Survive, the Formula One show, and I remember Claire Williams visiting the Williams factory or, or showing someone around, and they were speaking to someone who had, they were working on the, like, advancements in rear view mirrors. And, and she made a joke about, I won't make the car go faster. And I thought that was a real leak there of enthusiasm, because this was someone's life. This is what someone's working on for the past year, is the rear view mirrors. And I think recognising what, even in systems that maybe are in core to the game, that there should still be a lot of interest there, a lot of like imagination and a lot of someone's like, you know, effort has gone into that. And just staying alive to that as a leader, I think is quite important. So even if sometimes you find yourself working on games that are in maybe what you want to work on, you can still find magic within them that you can communicate to the team and keep people inspired on what they're working on. I do feel that some of the best work I did was on games that I potentially wouldn't play. I worked on a dance game, and I'm not much of a dancer, but I think I did good work on that game. So. Love it. Rasmus. Yeah, I do. I do think we are... Oh, right, one second. Could you mute, Chris? <clears throat> I do think we are a bit lucky this industry or any sort of industry that is kind of fun and creative um that makes our life a bit easier but also want to like not really disagree here because I, I i definitely think that any leader or any employer should should do their best to encourage and inspire and facilitate a connection to what you are doing i i think that's uh, really maybe something that a lot of uh, employers are missing. But I also feel sometimes that the game industry maybe becomes a bit complacent in that it's it's like almost like expected that you are so motivated by making games or just being one of the lucky few who are allowed to make games that you kind of I don't know. I, I think there is a tendency. I don't know if you guys agree with me. I, that would be interesting to hear, actually. But I feel there is a tendency for game companies to try a bit less hard to, uh, I guess, to to not necessarily to motivate people, but but it's this idea that you should be so lucky just to be here that you sort of can. I don't know. I, I I'm not saying the reality anymore is that people are sitting in basement being fed peanuts that was the reality a while ago uh, it's not that anymore but still like i feel that a lot of other good companies that aren't making as exciting creative uh products i mean <laughs> at least if you're a gamer um are actually working quite hard with um culture and and uh motivation and, and uh, so uh, maybe a little bit harder sometimes i don't know what do you guys think what do you think Pesha? i agree with with what rasmus just said like you know i think like this is one part of an entire package like 
it doesn't necessarily mean that you get to work in games and your job as a leader or like you know as like the company leadership is like oh yeah like people should be happy they get to work like you know in games and like you know that's it like there's a lot of different factors and i think like this is just one part of like an entire massive package because yeah like at least for myself talking for myself one of the reasons why i joined is because i was passionate about this so that was my intrinsic motivation that was my first motivation to be there but as to like staying longer in that company or in the industry comes a lot with how the company treats the companies the culture that they foster the way that people feel working in that like specific environment so like yeah i think that this is just like one part of like you know getting in but also that shouldn't be killed in a way by like you know the leadership like because then if you're like trying to also like you know just shut down that that intrinsic motivation that people might have that might also lead to unhappiness but yeah like i, I agree with rasmus like there's so many different factors as to why people would be motivated to work in a project or company or industry or you name it. Lovely. Let's take it back to Robin. Uh, yeah, I completely agree as well. I think uh, for me, the, there are a lot of people in the game industry who has the idea that uh, there is like that you should have intrinsic motivation just by being a game developer or like you're, you're so passionate about games or your project that you um, that you should always be grateful for having a job in the industry. I think that's a dangerous myth, to be honest. I think there are a lot of people who are stuck in, in bad jobs and under bad conditions and have been for a long time. While I also think that is changing quite rapidly, at least, uh, at least I can see that in Sweden, it's, uh, it's changing, but it's still like a problem. And, and I also don't think that like getting to, um, intrinsic motivation or to, to, to encourage that. I don't think it's free. I think there is actually a lot of thought and structure and process, uh, evolved to get there. Like you need to have, um, you need to give people proper, proper autonomy. Like they need to feel that they have ownership over what they do, at least to some degree. Uh, they need to feel competent that they know what they're supposed to do or that they're learning new stuff. Uh, and they need to have like a sense of community in terms of, uh, psychological safety in the team, trust between team members and support to achieve that. Um, and, um, that's, that's quite a, a big thing to build as a, as a, a culture in, in a company. But I think when you achieve it, like the, the upsides are great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a, a very strong, uh, opponent against the myth that it's just good to be in game dev because of game dev. I think, uh, like active leadership to build structures that encourage this is definitely the way to go. Awesome. We'll take it to Chris and then we'll move on to uh, Peter's question. Yeah, I think I found a bit of a kindred spirit and, and Rasmus when asked how to, how to increase intrinsic motivation, we end up in a discussion of, yeah, maybe we don't, you know, I think that's, that's very much my tendency when doing this kind of thing is I end up pulling it a little bit to the side. I think Robin actually implied that in the question. I would just say, it's not that worked at a studio before where objectively it's quite a good situation, but the leadership seemed quite frustrated with what's happening and, and see how that communicates out. So I think there's a, there's a danger there that, yeah, nobody wants intrinsic motivation to replace other things, but if you've seen the negative side of people failing to find the enthusiasm and in, in what's there, or at least being able to communicate that out, you realize how important that is to the prolonged good feelings at a company. Awesome. Lovely. Let's 
let's move to Bessa's question. Bessa, what is your question and the context yes. behind it? I'll first start with the context and then ask the question because I feel like it needs first to be explained and then asked. Um, yeah, so like one of the things that I at least like see quite a lot within the industry and teams is that, you know, there's a lot of passionate people and especially when you're, when you're working with ideation or something similar, like, you know, a lot of people might have different, like, you know, different thoughts and like ideas and then like people might disagree and then sometimes it creates this conflict, not in a bad way, of course, but like, you know, a conflict where people don't agree with ideas and then like, you know, just the discussion keeps going on and on and on and that at some point you kind of have to, you know, move on from that situation. So like one thing that I do feel like as, as you know, uh, being part of, 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 of a skill set or part of, of something that you should be able to do is that how do you move on from there and how as a lead to, to that team you actually like, you know, handle that conflict and then kind of come up with a consensus within the team. Well, R Rasmus, how do you handle conflict? We haven't had any yet, <laughs> but I, I, I totally <laughs> know what you mean, uh, Bessa. It's, um, it's sort of, in a way, it's sort of the flip, flip side of having like a really engaged, uh, team where everybody sort of has opinions on everything. And I guess, you know, at some point, I, I'm not really, like conflicts can take so many different shapes, uh, of course. Uh, I always feel, well, the, the idea I had when I thought about, or the thing that came to mind when I thought about this is that I think conflict is often um, a product of, or like a byproduct of lack of clarity, I think. I wouldn't say always. I mean, it's a complex world, but uh, very often, like I think, as a as a, I think it takes a lot of courage to lead and like courage to stand up for for people and also for your um, ideals, I guess. And if if and also to sort of uh, demystify. Um, concepts like what 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 is what is it how if we have a problem for example are we really going to the root of that problem i mean in terms of how we actually want things and do we communicate very clearly to everyone involved uh how things should be which isn't an, an easy or a straightforward process in itself but i think what if you have done that work well I think there is a less, there is less reason for conflict, uh, because in any situation, I think that there should be, you have to have somebody who makes the call, like on a, in, in every sort of every area you, you, you got to, I mean, there, I don't really believe in, in group decisions or group response, like shared responsibility, really. But there, of course, there should be like shared discussions and uh, so on uh, to inspire good decisions. Um, yeah, Roy, what do you think, Robin? I think uh, you're onto something there, Rasmus. Like it's, um, uh, I think the way that I've seen it work best is you, you have like clear rules of how you divide ownership uh, so that you have 
someone who owns like the the work that they do uh, and they can take decisions even if other people don't agree and then on top of that you have a a clear hierarchy of uh, creative decision makers um where if you do not agree as a team if you cannot find the right path forward and you have several options that are seemingly uh like all of them are good enough but they just seem to be you know uh relative differences and uh, subjective uh, opinions about what is the best way forward then you as an organization should have already agreed on who it is that takes that decision and moves that forward um but i think also that it's easier to to make that work if you if the per- person put in that leadership position um is someone who is good at you know taking in information and sharing feedback back and forth um and building a, a culture where you have regular uh like uh, sessions where you give each other heartfelt feedback even when you don't have that kind of conflict and uh, um yeah and having like this constant um, retrospectives where you where you discuss all the different parts of how you do games as well. Like I think that's that's a basis of creating a good culture to to share ideas within. I like it, Chris. Uh, yeah, I, I tried to approach this when I when I was thinking about this a little bit. I guess as I was saying, sometimes I have a negative take on the question, and on this one, I was really thinking about behavior that as a leader you can indulge in, which really almost like fan the flames of conflict. Um, and I think it speaks to something Rasmus was saying earlier about being honest within a group and identifying the conflict there. Because if you don't do that in your leadership group, you quite often find yourself as individual leads, like sympathizing with conflict on the team. So you may be in a one-on-one and someone says, hey, we're doing this to the game, we should be doing this. I completely disagree with that. And you find yourself agreeing because it, it feels good, it builds rapport with your, your team. But actually, it allows this pocket of discomfort to grow in the team and really become quite destructive to the to the team overall. And I'm saying this in the full knowledge that in the past I've certainly acted in that way as, as discipline lead before because it's, it's, it feels so good to find people who agree with you at the top. But you have to identify that conflict in the leadership group and then disagree, discuss, and then commit to it and understand the reasoning so that you can communicate that in the team. I think... You know, I really think that's quite essential on the, on the larger teams. There's always different ways you could take a, a game. There's always decisions that are made. But just staying as one as a leadership team is really important for the overall health of that team. Um, I think something Robin said earlier, he mentioned ownership a few times. I don't know if we can pivot to talking about that a little bit. But I think I find it hard to talk about ownership without talking about the power the the hierarchy has of the leadership. Because really, what ownership do you have if you can be overruled? So I don't know if when you say identify the people who can make the decisions, if you've ever been in the situation where that decision maker is lower on the hierarchy than someone above them who just has to abide by their decision. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I I personally haven't. What do you think, Robin? I mean, it's um, that's definitely a problem, right? Uh, if you, or, or rather, that's a culture that's created where you don't feel the sense of ownership because you're you're seemingly given ownership over something, and then you are constantly being pushed back to do something else. Um, and I think that in itself is a problem. I think you can have both at the same time. You can have like a creative director or someone who has the last say um, that points a direction that you're moving in. Then you can divide up what you're building, you can give ownership to individuals and they can have decision right over them. The term director is 
very much defined by every different place um, I've been at have, have vastly different uh, ideas of what it is. And uh, usually there is no clear deliverable from what the director should be. Instead, we kind of see them as this physical manifestation of the game's vision and you're supposed to go to them with a with an idea and they should be the decision maker and divide like, yes, this is good and no, this is not good. Um, and I think it's, uh, you can do it in a different way. You can, you can uh, like paint up this, uh, um, this, this goal or this cause or this purpose, and you can describe it as experience or you can uh, ex describe it as a, uh, a goal where you're supposed to feel something. It has a fuzzy scope to it. Um, and then you can like give this vision out to people and view it in people so that people understand where you're trying to go with the game. And then you can divide out uh, different chunks of uh, responsibilities that you work within a framework. Um, and within that framework, you have ownership. And uh, unless there is a very clear and hard like conflict between these two, then uh, you don't have to step in. So I think there is a balance to get there. And I think there's a quite large uh, field of thought to explore uh, when it comes to <laughs> what kind of deliverables such a director should give to the team when it comes to defining uh, vision uh, and direction. Yeah, I agree. Like, it, it's it's a funny thing. Like, even when I was thinking of, like, you know, what question I should come up with, this came to my mind. It's just because, like, sometimes even amongst directors, like, you know, in, in, in big old, bigger titles, you have, like, multiple directors, like, you know, that are supposed to be the vision holder, but, like, of, of the game. But sometimes even they don't seem to agree in one situation. And then you have to sit there and you're like, how do I facilitate this? Or like, you know, how do we move forward from, from this like ongoing discussion where we just don't seem to end up like seeing eye, eye to eye. So that's why I was like thinking about it. It's like, it's an interesting situation because it's not also a really like simple thing to, to kind of resolve at the same time. Or like, you know, how, how do you facilitate that you come up with a conclusion out of that discussion and then just go on and on and on and on. It's a bit, um, um, do you think that is something that gets worse with scale for any chance? I don't think it, 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 it gets worse. I think some, well, I guess it depends always like, you know, how the company and the team is set up and how people like, you know, they're set up in the, or like, what's the culture in, in, in the team and the company. But I just find it that sometimes it's just like this passion that comes and like, you know, you just have to, to keep on saying what you're thinking and everything. Like one thing that I've noticed is sometimes is like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's take a deep breath. Let's take a five minute break. Let's come back to this discussion. Obviously we need to come up with like a solution or like, you know, our decision out of this, but you know, let's try to, to kind of like, you know, take, take five, take in like, you know, coffee or something, come back to it. And then like, you know, how about we map this out visually somewhere, somehow, and then like, you know, we keep on saying where we go. And then obviously then you have people who are like, you know, like the, the business owner or like the, the, the like the executive producer of, of the, of the project that at some point might be like, okay, like we need to fund this and this is how we're going to move forward. But it's, it's always finding it like, I find it interesting in, in similar discussions, how, how things go and how then you have to try to pivot and somehow come up, come out with like a a decision yeah i was just thinking that uh if i feel you're lucky that that your people are actually talking to each other because i think the worst thing that can happen is is when the, those conflicts get go unresolved and the people just 
like forget to talk about them and but they are still there like they come in five years later and he's wondering what what's happening here but i feel like that's like part of a role at least of being a producer is that then you have to make sure like that you know like whatever the the meeting was the discussion was that you need to come out of i have one thing like if i'm sitting in a meeting by the end of it, sometimes if we haven't made clear what the action points are, I like, even if I'm not the one like, you know, like leading the meeting and the end I ask, so what are our action points and our conclusions of this meeting? Because I always feel like that you get stuck to the point where you're like, okay, you, you finish, you finish the meeting, you're out of it. And then you're like, what did we get out of it? Like what, what was the decision or the next steps like to it? So it's like, I don't know. I took it a habit of always like, you know, after like, okay, what is the conclusion and action point? Next steps. Yeah, that is a super important role, I think. Yeah, I can remember a few meetings where that would have been very useful. Uh, awesome. Let's move on to Chris. Chris, what is your question and the context behind it? Sure. I, I tried to phrase this in a slightly positive way, but I do think I was... It always follows on from the last discussion that if you imagine directors who aren't managing to communicate their vision or leaders that aren't, sorry, um, or maybe leaders that aren't making space for ownership downstream, that just aren't very talented in that regard. Is there anything that you could do as a company to either identify that, or are there things that you can do through your process or your structure which would help mitigate against it or at least communicate to them how they're expected to behave within that setup? Um, just speaking personally, I think that when you're part of a leadership group, you don't often um, experience experience people's downstream leadership. You experience a group of peers working together, and so it can be a little bit hidden how people are working with their, you know, with their team, with their discipline. So, any thoughts on that would be appreciated. Lovely, Robin. Do you want to start on this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I think we can start with uh, introducing more moral philosophy in game dev. Uh, to teach people uh, those aspects of life as well. Now, I think it's. Uh, I, I think my my answer to this would be to um, not think that leadership can be um, like concentrated on a few people and then that just solves all the problem uh, within a team. I think um, it is uh, probably a higher likelihood of getting a good culture and getting people to do good work if you can teach leadership skills um, to most people in in a team because then you also have the tools to give feedback on each other and how you do your 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 leadership practices um, and it also helps everyone to become better co-workers helping each other um, and uh, in that case i think for example a producer should maybe be more about coaching and creating processes rather than uh pointing who should do what uh, and that's like in my mind at least um and the team should be helped to govern itself within a framework that creates goals that are easy to understand and obviously there is no blanket statement i could say that would fit for any given team but i think if everyone knows kind of what their deliverables are at any given time and they know to what end they're trying to do this deliverable that's a good start um, and then people can give feedback on each other's way of using this um, we utilize user stories a lot uh, in our team uh, because they just ease communication between different teams uh, and between leadership and the uh, people in development teams and so on like that's that's been 
a great place to start for us. Sorry, could you explain that, uh, Robin? Live user stories? Uh, we use, we use, uh, we utilize uh, user stories. So we use user, user stories, like uh, um, from the player's perspective, from the developer's perspective sometimes, sometimes from entities in the game's perspective. So like a uh, player can do X or Y or enemy can do X or Y. Uh, and it's so much easier to communicate between different disciplines uh, what is supposed to go into this uh, specific thing. Yeah, I'd like to focus on communication because I, d I do think a lot of the problems I've seen have come up where like vision isn't clearly communicated and people end up almost reacting to something later on. And speaking as a developer, I always find it super frustrating when you feel like you've tried to do your best work, but there was just something missing from your knowledge that meant that the decision you were making along the way turned out to be wrong, but you could have made the right decisions if you'd been you know, operating with full intelligence. So I think focus on communication, that really resonates with me. Lovely. What do you think, Peter? I think it's a really interesting, like, question. I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, this is like, you know, a really hard one to like, you know, think and, and kind of find like, like ideas or solutions to. But I think like one thing, like we do work sometimes in, in like hectic projects or environment, like, you know, sometimes things are just full speed on and you don't necessarily have the time to concentrate on other things. But like one thing that I've noticed is that when companies actually put effort to um, educate and providing the tools for the leaders to kind of become like better leaders or learn new skills has shown to be kind of effective as well. Like, you know, like having workshops, having third party, like, well, companies coming in who specialize in training, uh, like, you know, leaders in different aspects, is it that being facilitating? Is that being how to be the best lead that you can be for like leader for your, for your team or like, you know, how to supervise, how to delegate work or how to create processes or like nowadays there's so many different companies who focuses only on how to create these programs and like, you know, and go and have like workshop days and then like weeks, like with, with different teams and then just like, you know, giving them the tools or like teaching them the tools to aid them in, in, in work. I've seen it in different companies working in different ways. Like for instance, like I've seen it that you're like, okay, you can choose like, you know, like if you see there's any courses or like books or something that you think it, it like would help you, like, you know, we would totally cover for it. You go forward with it. Or then I've seen it companies who actually like took the effort and like, you know, had like third parties come in or like an offsite and then like, you know, take like leads of teams, producers and everybody like just in one room and then having them like in a specific theme, like it, it can be general, it can be specific theme. And then like, you know, just teaching them or giving them the tools and then like, you know, creating different scenarios and based on what they learn, like just, you know, like asking them like, so how would you go based on what you, we've learned so far? Like, how would you go about it? I think like. You know, we're human, we, we, we are not more knowledgeable, we learn and we evaluate like, you know, and we evolve. So like, I think like, even when somebody steps up, uh, as a lead for the first time, like, you know, you also have to accept that they're probably going to make some mistakes because like they're learning, it's a new position, they're in a new position. So the, obviously as time goes, they can learn, but I think it's also important that the company also gives them the tools to actually learn in that process and not just be like, 
okay, you're late now. Here you go. Bye. Type of thing. Like, you know, I think it's, it's important to give the tools for, or like setting them up for success. I think I've spoken to one too many producer where that's been the case pretty much, you know, and there's no real book you can read. So how to be a game producer is there? It's like, you know, enjoy. Good luck. Uh, Rasmus thoughts on that. How do we encourage good leadership? Through structure? I actually, uh, I just hired a producer and I was looking for a book <laughs> for her. I failed and bought an entirely different book in the end. Um, yeah. Well, this is, this is such a hard question for me because I think I've only worked in organizations where we didn't have any processes at all. We just kind of left it to chance. Um, or we did have processes, but they failed miserably. Um, I do sort of believe in it. If I can imagine a different world for me, it, it, I, I think one problem might actually be that we assume that if you become a leader, you're in it for life. So you're like leader for life. It's like a dictatorship almost. <laughs> uh, you, I, I would actually, if, if there, if there were one thing I could wish for one change, kind of major change, it would be that it, it wasn't impossible to step down. If you're not, if you're sort of not, I guess, fit to be a leader or you've just gone tired of it or, you know, uh, but that's usually never the case. And uh, why I'm saying that is that I think it's kind of hopeless if, if you don't actually want to be, I think if you don't want to be a good leader or, I mean, that's, that's, that's a very debatable question. Like what, if, is it that you don't want, is it that you're not able to, but if you don't like have it in you, I don't think there is any thing to be done about it, even though I would want those. Uh, experts to be able to change people. I, I'm, I have a hard time seeing it. Sorry. No, hundred percent. I mean, I've spoken to a few people and they've been in companies where the only progression after you basically the best developer ever is to become a leader. They try it, don't like it. And then they were like, Oh, how do I go back with like honor in the way? And there are some companies that do do it or they just, you know, have it in a way like, you know, senior and it's like, okay, principal, like give him something to work towards progression wise, uh, that makes sense for that person. And it is a kind of a case by case, uh, over to you, Robin. Yeah. I also think it's, um, it's kind of like a myth, uh, like that, uh, you're, you're supposed to become a lead after X amount of years in the industry. And I've, I've seen a lot of people step up to that burnout and then step down again, only after they burned out and, and gotten really hurt from it. Uh, and I think this, this is also something one can solve a little bit by, uh, sharing leadership, leadership skills and, and responsibilities in the team way before you have uh, roles such as leader or producers or whatever, because then you can, you can try it out. You can see how much of it that fits you. You can, you can, uh, increase responsibility over time rather than be given all of it at once with full like reports and all of that. Um, uh, and then of course I completely agree with your response that you should be able to step down again um, and maybe defining leadership's roles per project instead and having like not a permanent position increase with a lot of uh, extra money and so on tied to it uh, is a way to try to re 
uh, imagine how to do organizations. I resonate with, with what was just said. Like, I think like oftentimes it's like, if you want to progress in your career, usually like, you know, there are benefits that are attached with the career progression and stepping like to, to a next level. And I think that in some cases it poses this issue that like, you know, you have people who are like, yeah, I've been like, you know, working in this job for X amount of years and like, you know, taking the next step with the company being like, yeah, now you can be a lead, but not necessarily wanting to be a lead. But then you're like, well, I kind of want to progress, but there is nothing else to progress for me than just being like, you know, a lead. Then like, you know, as I said, there's also benefits attached to it. It's like, well, you know, I, I would get like, I don't know, better benefits, a higher pay and everything. So it kind of also at the same time makes you feel like, you know, obliged to take it, even though you might not necessarily want it. So I think oftentimes we're limited with like super structured, like, you know, okay, you're, you're a junior, you're a senior, and then like, you know, sometimes principal and then you get lead. And then after that, then you just need to take the role because there is nothing more that you can progress to. And then you just feel stuck in this loop. So I think like sometimes it's also important to kind of feel like what are the other progression that you can offer to your, you know, employees to still be able to progress in their career, but not necessarily take roles that they might not even want to do, or like, you know, they try and then they're like, well, I don't, I don't enjoy this or like end up with a burnout or like, you know, like in different situations, I think like. You also need to try to give them like incentives to still somehow grow in their career, but not necessarily putting them in the positions that they don't necessarily want to be. But I think it's a really difficult also way to like kind of figure out because they're also as a company, I do understand that perspective, like, but what else can we like, you know, make them progress to? So it's like, it's kind of like a bit of a complicated situation, but I think like it, it's definitely something that needs to be given. Thoughts are like, you know, you don't end up being a lead and not liking it and then not being able to, to step down or then like, you know, stepping down, but losing the benefits attached to, to it. It's, it's really interesting to me, you know, the, the conversation's gone very much in the structural like side. It's not what I anticipated when I made notes, but it is something I think about a lot where as the teams grow, we tend to get very binary in our thinking between being a like productive developer or being a lead, it's almost like you have to choose one or the other. And as soon as you you take on any kind of lead mantle, suddenly you're in meetings, you're communicating, you're doing one-on-ones, and you never touch the game again. And it, it seems to me that almost like we could mitigate some of that through a little bit of extra hierarchy. And as soon as I say that, I'm aware that uh, I've been in places before where we've argued against hierarchy and a much flatter structure and that sounded quite good to me as well. So I really don't know where I come down on that, that side there. The only thing I would add in terms of detecting poor leadership, something that's quite close to my heart, is that I was, when I was a, a lecturer, I was part of the union, and we basically provided a sounding board for the lecturers where they could come and talk to us about how their work was going or frustrations that they were having. And we could package those up in terms of an overall look at the and the staff and then communicate them to management with some like perspective on whether it was a larger scale problem or whether it was an individual. And I, I would quite like to mimic that within a games company where there's a route to management that doesn't go back up through your management. And I think there's something to be said in that, that you have one-to-ones or a discussion with someone who's outside your direct chain of command. I think there's a lot of value in that. 
a lot to think about there. I'm making a lot of notes here because uh, I mean, in a recruitment company, we have very kind of normal hierarchy and progression. And I didn't realize, but I'm being kind of made into a lead by getting a bit more leadership responsibility, but nothing's official, right? So I think that works really well because there's some people who just want to go down the recruiter rule and just do recruitment that's it and some people want to be pure leadership but there is a way because there's just two different paths and i like the idea of just making you kind of taste it see how you feel and then go from there rather than making it a massive shift because uh, it just seems like the smart thing to do awesome rasmus final question what is your question and the context behind it yeah i have a very broad question it's like it's what uh, culture do you want? And that means what culture do you want? Like in the teens, I guess you uh, uh, lead or manage. And uh, how do you how do you inspire it? And the context, yeah, the the context. Simply, this is what keeps me awake at night. <laughs> I guess this is. Uh, I think it's absolutely crucial to building a new studio. Or an old one, for that matter. But it's everybody knows it's really hard to change later, right? Alrighty, I want Chris to start on this one. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a great question, I think. And I think when you mention a new studio, there's something really interesting for me there. And that if you imagine the culture on a small team of people who maybe have some previous and who trust each other and who know each other and are looking out for each other, the the culture there and the behaviors there, the positive ones are very positive. You know, the way that you act when you feel trusted and supported. If you have a problem, you surface it to the others early. You expect them to not question your fundamental ability, but to work together on that that problem. And I think on the larger scale, that's that's something that, that I want to encourage in my teams. I want developers to really feel trusted. And um, I remember hearing a podcast like quite a few years ago now, but it was an American entrepreneur called Casey Wasserman. Not sure about the pronunciation, but he, he spoke about celebrating when people surfaced issues. And that really meant something to me as a developer, because I felt that if I was to surface an issue, that would be the point where my ability as a developer was questioned. And those two things to me can't go hand in hand. You have to find some way to, when a problem happens, to work together to solve it. And questions of performance, questions about how did we get here, what went wrong, those almost have to be separated away so that trust like flows through the team. And I think you almost have to make an ongoing commitment to handling those those things at a different, different cadence, at a different pace, so then you can handle problems collegiately as a team. Um, and I think that trust and support was almost the core of feeling good about making games for me. Awesome. Uh, Robin? thoughts yeah i think i agree with you there chris that uh, uh to have those in different uh, cadences and building up the, like uh, a room where you can trust each other to to solve problems rather than than focusing uh on the problem itself and why it happened is super important and i think for me i, I like to be challenged as well like i i'm i'm starting this new studio together with some other uh incredible colleagues right and and um if I just did everything I believe to be right, we would end up in a very weird situation where they wouldn't agree with me. Uh, and I know they, they know better than me in a lot of places. So I try to encourage that kind of discussion where they, they add uh, parts of themselves to, to the group. Um, 
but usually I, I value like skepticism, like, so that you're not like a healthy skepticism that you're a critical thinker, uh, but also at the same time being humble and fairly agreeable so that it doesn't uh, spur out to be, you know, this massive conflict around it. Um, and then, uh, to have people who, who want to express stuff because it's, it's a, an industry where we, we, we are creating entertainment products and, uh, and art really, uh, in some cases, and you need kind of to want to do something with it, to, to find some way in there. Um, and also the will and skill to grow and get better over time. But all of these things are also things I think can be coached to each other over time through group sessions, through leading by example, um, and, and to have like this, um, this recurring team development, uh, um, opportunities like retrospectives and, um, and, uh, coaching sessions, uh, to help, um, like put that into practice. Awesome. Over to you, Bessa. Thoughts on that? Yeah, this is uh, a topic that's really close to my heart, so I can go on and on for hours about it. But yeah, I think like, at least for me, like I value a culture that is inclusive and open. Like, you know, I value that, like, you know, everybody should be treated equally, uh, despite their background position at the company, everything. I think everybody should be treated equally, but everybody should also have the opportunity to express what, what they're thinking. And especially in, in sensitive situations where like, you know, we're, we're all human. So like this industry is beautiful in the way that it gathers people from all over the world in specific companies and teams and like, you know, and sometimes you might not necessarily be aware that by saying something, you might hurt somebody else. But I think like what's key to like having a, like a healthy culture is to show that the culture that you want to have in your team or company is that, you know, you can also like, you should feel comfortable to point that out to your teammates. It's like, hey, like, you know, you probably didn't mean it this way, but like, you know, like, you know, this is how this made me feel. And that comes only by being like, you know, like fostering an open culture, like, you know, and so like, and I think this is a lot of different things like it's about leading by example in that type of thing like you know like fostering like showing that yes like you know you can you can be open and speak about about everything that like you know comes to your mind that you can be yourself as well and then like at the same time trying to like you know foster equality and like you know like inclusiveness because i feel like especially nowadays these topics are so like talked about and discussed in the industry that it's like there's a lot to learn about, like from different companies, like, you know, like a lot of companies have, have started like amazing different discussions or incentives in, in, in their companies, like, you know, on how to achieving that. But at least for me, in my opinion, it starts from like, you know, just having an open, inclusive, equal culture, and then it spreads from there or like, you know, it nourishes or flowers from there. I mean, that's really interesting to me. Just a quick question. Do you know if your hiring process um, looks at that at all to see whether whether maybe there are any red flags as to someone's like perspective on on how they would fit into the culture or their respect for the the culture? I'm not I'm not sure about our own. I know we have an HR component to our interview process that I'm not a part of. But um, just when you were talking there, I wondered if that was a starting point for building that type of culture. Making sure you're hiring is aware of it. 
five, at least like in the companies that I worked in, like in a lot of, of like interviewing processes, that was part of it. Like, you know, seeing like, is like, you know, this per like, what will they add on to our culture? Like, you know, like being in a positive way or negative way, because like, there's also like a lot of discussion about versus is it culture fit or cat culture ad for me like i i prefer a culture ad because like also just try to get a culture fit it's not also going to foster your culture in a positive way because like you know there are people that can come and add way much more to your culture and make it even better so i feel like it is like you know like part of your culture that like of, of it shouldn't be at least part of your interviewing process that you know trying to identify like like you know like is this like what this person could add to your culture, something that would flourish it or like impact it in a negative way? Because like, you know, we're in an, in an industry, well, I don't necessarily want to get fully into that, but like, you know, we've heard things that have happened and stories and everything. And like, you know, it, it, it's also really important that like, you know, who you, who you have in and how do they add to a positive culture and environment? Awesome. Over to you, Rasmus, you say you don't even sleep thinking about this topic. <laughs> I never sleep. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's, uh, but definitely, uh, I hear a lot of things that make sense here. Really grateful for you guys explaining how, how your take on the, on the topic. Um, I also feel like from my own experience, there is no better feeling than, than having like, uh, feeling trust, um, autonomy, like there is, you feel competent, like, um, uh, and you're, I mean, that's also the appeal, like we were talking about intrinsic motivation before. And, and that's definitely also part of that. I think just being able to, um, flourish in a way. Um, but I think, um, I think what is the hard part here is, is like what I guess the, the devil is always in the details and it's like, how, how is this actually happening? I mean, we, we can all agree about these very good values, but, but what, what, how would you not make this happen? For example, it is. Is that maybe a better way to approach it? Like what not to do, for example, that could be a question also, like what, what is, is it more important what you don't do or what you do do? I think one of them is dismissing feedback or people's opinion. Like, you know, like a lot of times, like, you know, you might not necessarily see some of the issues that might go on or like, you know, things that happen and like, you know, the, they'll probably, there's going to be somebody who's going to raise that point that like, you know, at some point in time. And I think like dismissing it or just like saying, yes, I hear you and not like, you know, trying to show like improvement or action. I think it's definitely like something that, you know, shouldn't be taken for, for granted. I completely agree with that as well. And, um, I think if you look at it on the other side, then what should you do? And I guess like, it's again about communication and leading by example, right? If you can, if you can set up arenas where you can discuss these things, where you can coach these things to others, where you 
and you have that recurringly through your process, then then that will help, I think. But you also need to, in those arenas or these meetings, um, um, kind of lead by example. You need maybe to share, even if you're the leader of the company or the first in there, you need to share whatever is whatever you experience that's wrong or what's not really uh, adding up for you with the company at the moment or with your own feelings or with whatever to see that, okay, this is, this is, this floor is open for people and, and then encourage that and listen to people. Uh, but I also think one, one mistake a lot of uh, companies do is that they're very good at collecting this information through recurring retrospectives and stuff. And then it just stops. Like it's never used to do any change at all. So I think if you start collecting info like that, you should probably uh, do immediate change, like uh, one action point change every sprint or or something like that, at least to show people that you have a commitment to um, to the information that you're collecting, that you want to make it better for people. I feel like when it's all remote as well, there's like an extra layer of difficulty, at least like I felt that. Um, if there is a bit of a hybrid situation, I found what not to do is kind of have a situation where everyone's inside on a you know one person that everyone who's remote kind of chimes in i feel like if everyone's on a virtual call with their videos on even if it's in the same room it's a lot more inclusive because it's more like kind of everyone's literally equal in that sense because everyone's still on teams call or zoom call what have you but when it's like 10 people in the room talking about game design and then the three people who can't make it are on a video call it just doesn't feel that right so i feel like one, that's one thing that I've seen that really helps, just trying to make it so kind of everyone has kind of an equal say. And in terms of culture, like we have a very good culture on like our daily stand-ups here on just, you know, how are you feeling personally, what's going on? And then obviously that comes out in your retro as well. Like how was your week? What's the plans for the weekend? It just puts everything into perspective. Like if there is something personal going on, people can take that into account. And then it's just nice. And that only happens when the leaders do that. I feel like leading by example there is the best way forward. Uh, that's at least a couple of things I've had on that. Um, I think we'll wrap up, guys. This has been the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. I would like to thank uh, Robin, Bessa, Chris, and Rasmus for providing their insights. And if you want to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku. Foku is spelled P-H-O-K-O-U. Thank you.